0: Hi, welcome to Speaking of Sex with the Pleasure Mechanics. I'm Chris from PleasureMechanics.com, and on today's episode, we have an interview with the amazing Lori Brado. She is one of the leading researchers in the field of female sexuality, and her research has been inspiring us here at Pleasure Mechanics for years, and especially over the past few years as I have been developing our Mindful Sex course, which is the most recent online course we have released here at Pleasure Mechanics. So, I was thrilled to learn that she was releasing a new book all about her research into mindfulness based sex therapy. It's called Better Sex Through Mindfulness How Women Can Cultivate Desire. And while it focuses on female sexual desire, and her research has primarily been about the female sexual experience, which is a very under researched element of human sexuality the techniques and practices that she has developed in her clinic and her clinical research applies to everyone. So let's dive into the interview with Lori Brodo now. And at the end of this podcast, I will share with you a way that you can get both her book and our online course on mindful sex and combine them to bring the amazing and powerful techniques of mindfulness into your sexual experience. I am super excited to share this interview with you. And so, without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Lori Brodo. Dr. Lori Brodo, welcome to Speaking of Sex. Thanks so much for having me today, Chris. Can you introduce yourself and the work that you do?
1: Sure. So I'm Laurie Brotto. I'm a registered psychologist by training, a researcher in the Department of Gynecology at the University of British Columbia, and the executive director of a Women's Health Research Institute in the province of BC. And my research has been focusing mostly over the last decade or so on the development and treatment of sexual concerns in women using mindfulness meditation-based approaches.
0: And in the book, you lay out this beautiful story. But how did you come to focus on mindfulness after the development of Viagra? What is that link? So th-
1: this was really a, a pivotal moment, not only in my own career, but I think for the field of sexuality and sex research more broadly. And that was the year 1998 when Viagra was approved for men. And suddenly men had a an effective, easy to use, um, low risk, low adverse event, very accessible medication to treat their sexual concerns, so erectile dysfunction in men, which affects probably between 10 to 15 percent of men. Um, and and in, shortly after that, in the same year, there was a large study based on several thousand American men and women, and it found that um, actually the prevalence of sexual difficulties in women was far greater than the prevalence of sexual concerns in men, and it reached somewhere around the neighborhood of about 40%. So around 40% of women over the last year reported that they had some type of, of sexual difficulty, the most common of which was low sexual desire. So that sort of got me started down the path of looking into, well, we've got this effective and and easily accessible treatment for men's sexual concerns. What is there for women? And I quickly discovered that my literature search uh, took all of about one minute um, and and discovered that there were very, very few treatments available. There were no medications approved. Um, There were a handful of more um, psychological types of interventions, but really very little research looking at... um, Effective ways of improving women's sex response and sexual satisfaction. Um, and that uh, really uh, led to um, uh, the, the path that I took after that point. I, I was a, um, uh, an animal researcher focused on animal models of sexual dysfunction. And very soon after reading that paper, I made the switch over to studying women's sexual response in, in the laboratory. Um, and then I was introduced to mindfulness a few years after that when I was living and, and working uh, as a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Washington, Seattle. Seattle, and learned about mindfulness because it was a very effective part of treatment for individuals who um, engaged in in cutting behavior or parasuicidal behaviors. And mindfulness essentially helped those patients cope. It helped them cope with um, the ups and downs of of their emotions, their their, uh, tendency to want to hurt themselves. And basically, it taught them if they could remain in the present and, and really focus on what it felt like, including all of the distressing emotions they were feeling, that they could ride it out almost like as if they were on a surfboard. So um, that, uh, again, another pivotal turn in, in my career that introduced me to mindfulness. Um, I began my own personal practice and in, in rather intensive training and, and learning about mindfulness. Um, and uh, And really, the rest is history, so to speak.
0: And here we are, you know, 15 years later, um, and this treatment has proven to not only effectively help women with low sexual desire and other sexual struggles, but create lasting changes. And again, 15 years later, we don't have the pink Viagra. Um, So what is it? Your book is called Better Sex Through Mindfulness so let's start with the basic what is it about mindfulness that can lead to a better sexual experience
1: so mindfulness is essentially um a way of of being it 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 includes paying attention in the present moment, um, moment by moment, and doing so non-judgmentally and, mm-hmm. and compassionately. So it's it's more than just paying attention or concentration training, but rather it's about how we pay attention. And one of the things we know is that individuals who have sexual concerns, and in particular women who have low desire, um, are often struck by myriad negative thoughts about their own performance concerns about whether or not they will respond, um, worries and fears about how a partner may respond or or not approve about their sexual activities or outcomes. Mm. And there's compelling data that shows that, that um, this sort of onslaught of negative thoughts and negative self-judgments, and essentially women being very, very hard on themselves, can directly and negatively affect their ability to become sexually aroused and and have sexual desire. And so one of the ways that we believe mindfulness is is helpful for women with sexual concerns is it, it teaches them to just be in the moment, to notice sensations without that tendency to jump into the future and worry about, am I responding enough? Is this going to upset my partner? Is this going to lead to disaster? Am I not going to reach an orgasm? Um, and and so mindfulness really allows them to really tune into sensations and really stay with the sensations, so that they might. Still have those negative thoughts, but they're not dominating uh, the the field of their awareness. Um, and and our research has shown that that's probably one of the important ways. Um, there there are certainly other ways as well that mindfulness is helpful, but that's really one of the key ways is really targeting that negative self judgment.
0: Hmm. Gosh, the work of a lifetime, right? <laughs> yeah, it sure is. Mm-hmm. So when we think about so many women having low sexual desire. Do you feel like we need to think rethink how we culturally talk about desire what are your thoughts about how we reframe the even the notion of desire in the first place
1: yeah um, absolutely and this has been an an area of, of work that I've been um, pretty actively involved with as along with several others and that is how do we define sexual desire yeah. and I think that there are many um cultural stereotypes around what sexual desire is. And and one of them being this notion that you either have desire or you don't. Mm. Um, And when you have it, it's something that just exists within you. It lives somewhere within your body. You feel it physically, and it always compels you towards sexual activity. So, Um, you know, you feel horny, you feel butterflies, you feel some kind of internal physical trigger that moves you towards sex. And one of the things we know is, yeah, that might that might uh, express sexual desire for for some people, or maybe for some people, some of the time, depending on their context, their age, what kind of relationship they're in, how long that relationship is, um, a host of other factors. But we also know that there are other ways that desire is expressed. And one of the more helpful ways of thinking about desire is as if it were an emotion, just like, sadness or happiness now we feel happy when positive things happen to us when uh, things in our environment or people we interact with say or do things that make us feel happy. So happy hap- happiness happens in response to something. And it can be really helpful to think about sexual desire in the same way. So we feel desire when there are triggers for our desire. Um, and the research suggests that that's probably a much more common manifestation of desire than this idea that desire is something is or is not within you um, and when we think about desire in that way as something that can be triggered or elicited then suddenly we feel far more empowered to explore well what are those cultivators of desire and if if I don't have desire or my desire is less than it used to be maybe this is an opportunity to explore the triggers and the context that would be more likely to elicit desire for me.
0: Mm-hmm. And part of that exploration is paying attention. So how does mindfulness help us pay attention to what's already going on in our body and start tuning in rather than tuning out? So
1: um, in our own work, and and of course, our our work is heavily influenced by the much larger field of work exploring mindfulness-based interventions Mm -hmm. for other issues like stress and anxiety and depression and chronic pain. Um, And so the way that we do that with uh, sexual concerns is we start with introducing a formal practice. So in our groups, this means that we bring groups of about eight to 10 women together. We have a facilitator who is well-versed in both mindfulness-based practice as well as in uh, sex therapy. And we um, spend uh, really the first hour of our two-hour group engaged in a mindfulness practice where the facilitator will provide instructions for the participants, something along the lines of Pay attention to the breath, notice where in the body the breath is experienced, um, notice what sensations are associated with breathing, notice any sounds or smells or thoughts or other sensations that go along with breathing. Um, That's just a really, really quick, short uh, snippet of a a much longer exercise that we do called mindfulness of breath. Mm -hmm. Um, But essentially, we encourage women to adopt a regular formal mindfulness practice in their lives where they might um, practice a formal meditation every day for, you know, 20 to 30 minutes. Um, And then we gradually tailor these exercises to more sexual contexts. So um, in that sense, we might first encourage the women to engage in some self-touch um, and while they're touching themselves alone, they can practice mindfulness at the same time. So what does it actually feel like these sensations as I'm touching myself head to toe, including the more erogenous parts of, of her body, the nipples, the breasts, the, the vulva, the labia, etc. And then we uh, also talk quite specifically about how they might incorporate these newfound skills when they're sexual together with a partner. Mm -hmm.
0: I love that. So we we released a mindful sex course about four months ago. And one of the things we include is the aroused body scan, because I think Mm -hmm. there's different information to be gained from paying attention in a state of arousal. And I love that in your book, you include all these exercises of mapping the mindful practice into the sexual encounter, either alone or with a partner. Um, What are some of the ways so a lot of women report this disconnect between the body and the brain, right? And in the book, you talk about arousal concordance and interoception. Yeah. Um, yeah. So these are big words. How do we explain these <laughs> concepts um, and think about this unification of the mental and physical experience of sex?
1: Right. So... Um... I'll maybe just start with a, a bit of a, a real example of um, one of the first groups that I, I worked with when I was a fellow at the University of Washington, Seattle, um, to to adapt and test mindfulness. And this was at a time when I was working quite closely in research with uh, cancer survivors. And these specifically, these were women survivors of gynecologic cancer, where their treatment involved Rather radical removal of uh, some of the the internal reproductive structures, so with a radical hysterectomy, they had their uterus, their cervix in the upper part of the vagina removed hmm. and many of these women described um, a complete lack of any any pleasure, any sensation with genital uh, contact they they often talked about it as feeling as though my t- partner is touching my elbow, so rather than having that specific sexual pleasure. Uh, related quality, they, they could feel touch, but it was not pleasurable for them whatsoever. And um, it was really a potent example of this um, kind of disconnect. Because what we learned was when we taught women to really pay attention, to really notice the sensations that were there while they were engaged in, in uh, erotic touch or sexual contact, that they they realized that there were still sensations of pleasure that they could, by focusing on them and really tuning into them, um, could then amplify. So that's one example of how and why paying attention can really amplify a response that maybe women are are not noticing or um, that has been greatly reduced. Now, there's also been quite a large body of research led by um, Meredith Chivers, a, a fantastic Canadian sex researcher, as well as others that shows when you bring women into a re, into a sexual psychophysiology research lab and you show them a series of erotic videos and you measure their physical response, typically by the use of a vaginal probe that measures their, their genital blood flow, um, and then you also ask them how turned on or how sexually aroused they are, that far more often than not, what those studies will find is that there might be a strong physical uh, sexual arousal response. And yet at the same time, women are self-reporting either minimal sexual arousal or not being sexually aroused or frankly being turned off. And, And we often find that in our samples of women with sexual dysfunction. So the body is responding and the mind is, is simply not. And that's what we mean by um, either low concordance or, or, frankly, discordance. And that what that means is that when exposed to a sh- sexual trigger, um, the body is responding and, and the mind is not. And sometimes you can have the opposite. You might have the mind that's sexually excited and turned on and the body that's, that's not responding. So, one of the things that we've been very interested in in our research is um, how does mindfulness impact this? concordance or this mind-body agreement in, in sexual response. And we've now found in a few studies uh, that essentially what mindfulness does is it increases the amount of communication between uh, the brain's arousal pathways and and the body's sexual response, such that as women are becoming aroused in their body, they're far more likely to be tuned in also in their mind and, and therefore uh, state that they feel sexually excited.
0: And is this a function of strengthening neural pathways. Do we know yet how this functions?
1: Yeah, that, so this is really where uh, the research needs to go next. And mm. um, we speculate on how and why that is. And, and one of the kind of leading um, explanations that I, I believe is going on is we're strengthening women's ability to become interoceptively aware. So interoception or interoceptive awareness, this is just our, our general ability to know what's going on in our body. So you might know folks who are acutely aware of their own heart rate and accurately aware of their own heart rate, or those women who can actually sense when they ovulate um, Mm -hmm. or sense other internal physical sensations. So that's interoception. and. Um, uh we measure interoception in our studies, uh, both through self-report questionnaires, as well as through a heart rate accuracy uh, test that, that women do before the mindfulness groups and, and after. Mm-hmm. And what we've found is that as women become more interoceptively aware, this is also associated with their increased ability to tune into those sexual sensations as well.
0: Right, right. So in the moment of receiving sensation You are aware of how you're feeling and then mapping that emotional response onto it. And then comes the piece of non-judgment, right? Right, Um, right. So we live in a culture that has nothing but judgment, especially around female sexual desire. Um, Mm -hmm. How does this piece of practicing non-judgment and self-compassion play out in your groups? What kind of transformations are possible there? Yeah.
1: So this this has been um, really, in my mind, probably one of the most critical ingredients in our mindfulness-based intervention. Um, so I mentioned the awareness of the breath practice. We also have body awareness practice, awareness of thoughts, awareness of sounds. And then we mm-hmm. also have specific cr- practices that are designed to cultivate compassion towards oneself. Mm. And typically in the group, what that looks like is, um, uh, there, there's a lot of emotion that goes along with realizing and recognizing that we can be really hard on ourselves. And, and, and when you do a formal practice with women, where your instructions invite them to, um, cultivate a sense of love and compassion to themselves, and they realize just how challenging that is so no difficulties at all cultivating love uh, towards other people that they know even other people that they don't know um, but when it comes to really uh, channeling that love and compassion towards themselves, um, there's great great difficulty in, in doing that and immediately the women realize what role that this plays in perhaps perpetuating some of their sexual concerns. So because they're constantly faced with, um, a fear of disapproval and concerns about not being good enough, uh, sexually as well as otherwise, um, and when we start to really confront that in the group and send women home with practices that are designed to cultivate compassion, they they immediately feel transformed. In fact, many of the women, um, when we follow up with women and engage them in uh, some interviews after they, they do the group, they'll often tell us how that was one of the most challenging parts of, of the, the eight-week intervention is really cultivating that love towards themselves.
0: Mm-hmm. Especially when we live in the world we do right now. That's um, right. I know you. You mentioned you've worked with cancer survivors. You've also worked with trauma survivors. Mm-hmm. What has working with this population taught you? Yeah. Wow. That's um,
1: what an opportunity that has been to. Offer these women who have, um, in some cases, really quite tragic and horrific histories of uh, sexual abuse and assault, many of them as children. Um, and um, w- one of my motivations in working with that, that group using mindfulness specifically are that these, the, the women that we worked with, um, had already undergone fairly extensive psychotherapy to deal with the aftermath. Uh, the psychological aftermath of of their abuse histories, and most of them felt like they were resilient and they got past that until they found themselves in uh, consensual sexual relationships again, where engaging in sex or feeling sexual arousal triggered many of the the past intrusive thoughts and nightmares and distress and dissociation. As it had done in their past, in their abusive situations, so very, very distressing. Because these were women who were now in happy and consensual relationships. They wanted to be sexual, and yet they had this um, kind of recurrence of their their past PTSD and trauma symptoms. Um, and so we believed that a, a mindfulness approach, teaching women to really tune into the arousal and notice. Uh, the, the building sensations of arousal and staying with it without getting pulled away into dissociation um, was was really quite key. And we found in, in one study that we did where we compared this approach to another effective psychological approach, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, that the women who received the mindfulness training were, ha- were able to have uh, far less distress, sex-related distress. Um, And moreover, they were really able to tune in to their body um, and experience both their their body getting aroused as well as their mind getting aroused. So um, for me, it was really after working with uh, those women who, who had experienced histories of sexual abuse that it convinced me that, wow, this was really Uh, a tool and a practice um, that finally could make a lasting impact on women's sexuality.
0: Mm -hmm. And while most of your work has been around women's sexuality, what are your thoughts on how this research translates to the male sexual experience?
1: Yeah, I've uh, been often asked that question, particularly mm-hmm. since the book has women in the title, mm-hmm. um, and yet uh, our, our research over the last two to three years has also adapted these same strategies, our same groups, mm-hmm. to different populations of men um, with some really fantastic outcomes so for example one of the studies we did involved men who have situational premature ejaculation which essentially means that these are guys who have no difficulty with um, uh, their ejaculation or their erection when they're on their own but when they're with a partner they might ejaculate too early Um, or the men with situational erectile dysfunction have no difficulty getting erection on their own but when they're with a partner because of uh, concerns and fears and worries and, and um, concern about performance failure, they might lose their erection. And so we found mindfulness to be um, really a powerful uh, tool, a powerful strategy for helping them gain better control over their erections and for uh, dealing specifically with the uh, premature ejaculation. We've much more recently been delivering uh, mindful, mindfulness-based strategies also to prostate cancer survivors together with their partners. Now, this is a bit of a different population because one of the things we know is that prostate cancer treatment, whether it's the surgery or the chemotherapy or the radiation produces lasting and permanent sexual difficulties for the vast majority of of men uh, who survive their prostate cancer so our use of mindfulness with this population is not so much focused on getting their sexual function back but rather on expanding, their their repertoire their their uh we call it a buffet menu of different ways of being sexual Mm -hmm. that don't focus on having uh an erect penis so that work's been very interesting because um Typically, this is a, a population who's really, really distressed and very focused on getting their erection back, and that also probably speaks to bigger societal notions of what it means to be a masculine man. And to be a masculine man means to be, uh, means to have a, a rock hard erection when one wants it when one wants to need it. So mindfulness and, in particular, the the, the compassion practice of mindfulness um, has been very useful for that population of men in in um, expanding the, the different ways that they might be sexual. Mm,
0: so important. I love that so much. Um, recently on the podcast, we were talking about performance anxiety and mm-hmm. the idea that excitation and anxiety are both arousal responses. Mm-hmm. How does mindfulness allow us to grow our capacity for arousal and excitation without flipping into anxiety? great
1: question that that I'm gonna write that down because that would be a great future research study to do um, and you know one of the the things we know is that uh, among uh, women with set with low desire individuals with low desire more generally that there may be different kind of patterns of um, how that uh, of, of sort of the reasons for their low desire so it may be the case that one woman has a low, capacity for becoming sexually excited, so a low excitation uh, ability. And for other women, they might be much higher on the inhibition domain. So Mm -hmm. they might have kind of internal structures in their brain that constantly put the brakes on and and, uh, prevent them from becoming sexually excited. So in our own research, we have measures of this inhibition and excitation um, tendency. And we're now starting to look at how mindfulness might specifically Um, impact those two different systems, the excitation and and inhibition system. So we don't quite know exactly how that happens uh, yet, but we can speculate that one of the things that mindfulness does is by tuning in and reducing avoidance tendencies, um, that it probably does have an impact on uh, lessening some of those inhibitory Barriers that are preventing women from getting sexually excited. Now, how it impacts the excitatory pathways, we don't know quite uh, yet what the answer to that is.
0: Mm-hmm. I look forward to it. <laughs> Thank you. It's you too. Little... <laughs> um... And when we've released our mindful sex course, and when we talk about mindfulness on the podcast, sometimes the response we get is, I'm already too self conscious during sex, I'm already right. too much in my head. And there's this confusion that mindfulness means overthinking, right? What do we how do you talk about the specific qualities of mindful attention that are different from everyday cognitive function?
1: Yeah, that's a it's also a very common, uh, concern expressed by women in mm. our group, which is, I'm, I'm already hypervigilant to my own function. And I actually think that that's actually getting in the way of my, my sexual arousal. Mm. And so there are different ways of paying attention. And um, in the woman who's hypervigilant, there can be um, a tendency to misinterpret what's happening as signaling some kind of negative or disastrous or catastrophic outcome. Mm. So by hyper-focusing on am I getting aroused, am I wet yet, am I excited, what's happening in my body, what's happening in my vulva, what's happening in my nipples, um, it's a, it's, it's not a hyper-vigilance that we're cultivating, but rather um, it's an awareness and, and an observing. One of the other really important things that we practice um, with mindfulness is, is something that mindfulness experts call um, open monitoring. And that is our ability to just kind of notice everything that's, that's happening without attaching to any one particular experience. And so in our groups, when we lead the mindfulness practice, there's really two things that we uh, focus on. One is notice what's happening. Notice the sensations. And then secondly, notice if you have a tendency to become over-focused on those. So to attach, to experience mm. attachment and Simultaneously, notice if there's a tendency to want to move away from or experience some aversive reaction to those sensations. So, we fold in this practicing practice of noticing attachment and aversion while we're also noticing sensations. And that can be a really useful concept for those women who tend to be hyper vigilant about their sensations.
0: Wow, yeah, I know that well from being mindful during chronic pain. Right. But to map that onto how we move away or towards from pleasure is really right. powerful. Well, so of all of your research findings over the past decade plus, what has been most surprising to you? Um,
1: I think one of the the su- pleasantly surprising outcomes has been that when we invite women back uh, six months and and one year later, that they continue to experience the benefits. Um, they're continuing to practice the mindfulness, maybe not in the same kind of intensive way that they did when they participated in our groups, but because they've experienced lasting improvements not only in their sexual uh, response and satisfaction, but also those other important parts of quality of life, like mood, and an ability to cope with stress, um, ability to just engage more in life and enjoy their meals and pay attention to their conversations that they actually want to continue to do these practices in their, in their life. So it's been a, a really kind of positive, um, observation is to see that we are planting a seed, but then that seed continues to be cultivated and, and it grows into women's uh, ongoing practice, um, long after they, they leave our, uh, our center. So that's been a, a great finding. I think one of the other um, maybe somewhat surprising findings um, is that the, the benefits of mindfulness were not specific to those women who already bought into the idea of mindfulness being useful. Uh, and so specifically what I mean by that is that we um, we include baseline measures before women engage in the, the groups around how much do you think that this is going to help you? And how much do you really agree with kind of a mindfulness-based approach? Um, and how skeptical are you of these strategies and whether they will work for you? And what we found is that women's baseline level of confidence in the mindfulness treatment, um, and in their level of skepticism had no bearing whatsoever on whether they benefited from the mindfulness or not. So this is great news because Mm. one of the, the, the concerns that I've certainly read about in the larger mindfulness literature is, you know, maybe this is only for a small segment of the population who practice yoga and are open to integrative and contemplative practices. Maybe these are, um, uh, folks who you know are have an openness to Buddhist meditation more generally and our research finds that actually um, it's not specific to that population but really cuts across different segments of, of uh, the population regardless of their their baseline level of belief or not
0: mm. gosh and thanks so much to your work we have a developing new field of mindfulness based sex therapy what do you see coming down the road for this field? What, what questions are you excited to ask next? So
1: we know that sexual difficulties are common Uh, They cut across different ages, different demographics, different cultural groups, uh, different relationship status, sexual orientations. And although my work has focused mostly on on women um, and on the most common concerns being low desire and lack of sexual satisfaction, what I would love to see is kind of an exporting of these um, approaches for much broader groups. So perhaps individuals who are grappling with with sexual identity, or who um, are experiencing um, stigma or face prejudice as they're contemplating coming out of the closet and revealing their sexual orientation. Um, So I would love to see kind of an adaptation of these strategies for much broader populations of uh, individuals who are, again, confronting with different aspects in that broad field of sexuality.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. And thank you so much for this book.
1: Thank you so much for the opportunities. It's uh, been a real treat to talk to you today.
0: Okay, I hope you enjoyed that conversation and that it has motivated you to start exploring the way that mindfulness practices can greatly and profoundly influence your sexual experience. This is what I am most excited about in the field of sexuality right now. I have spent the past two plus years developing our mindful sex course, and I would love to share it with you along with this book. So, here is my offer to you go to any online book retailer and pick up a copy of Better Sex Through Mindfulness by Lori Brado. And then send me a screenshot of your receipt or a picture of you holding the book when you receive it. And I will email you back a coupon code for a full 50% off our online course. So let's bring these two amazing resources together and go deep into the practice of mindful sex together. For me, the techniques of mindful sex are really the portal into a truly authentic and fulfilling sexual experience And the key to beautiful, transformative experiences of erotic trance and the sex that truly shakes your soul and gets you high on sex. I love this work. I'm super excited to offer it to you. And I'd love you to buy the book and get the course at a discount so we can start exploring together. So go to any online retailer, buy Dr. Lori Brodo's book, email me at chris at pleasuremechanics.com and send me the receipt or a photo of the book and I will send you a very special discount code so you can start exploring our Mindful Sex course. All right thank you to Dr. Brodo and her team for this amazing body of research. It is so important to bring into the world. And we will be back with you next week here on the Speaking of Sex podcast. Cheers.